0: In 1949, the great bard of the Harlem Renaissance, Langston Hughes, wrote a poem for his friend, the famous blues singer Billie Holiday. In his endeavor to capture Billie Holiday's brilliant but tortured existence, Hughes tried to express what it feels like to be completely submerged in sadness and wondering if anything could relieve the pain. He began the poem with a beautiful turn of phrase. What can purge my heart of the song and the sadness? What can purge my heart but the song of the sadness? What can purge my heart of the sadness of the song? In three questions, Langston Hughes captured the feeling of grief. When we lose someone or something we love, when someone or something is tragically taken from us, our hearts fill with a sadness we call grief, a sadness that manifests, as we know, in those stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and if we're lucky, acceptance. To live as a human being in this finite world And love anything is to risk loss and experience grief. Alfred Lord Tennyson famously said, it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, but it sure doesn't feel that way when the grief sets in. There are certain losses, like the loss of a child or a parent or a friend or family member, that cause immense grief, the kind of grief that we have to take day to day, the kind of grief we can't just shake off but can only learn how to live with, the kind of grief that never fully goes away but simply changes and eases and grows less intense, the kind of grief that doesn't actually disappear but over time can become easier for us to carry. When we are grieving, it's hard for our minds to think clearly. But if you think about it, grief is one of the ways we human beings love people, love the people who are no longer with us. Jesus commands us to love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. And grief is one of the ways we love our neighbors who have already died and gone on to be with God. Grief is a form of love. And yet, There is a dangerous side to grief that nobody tells you about when you lose your first pet or your first grandparent or your first love. Grief requires expression, and it cannot be carried alone. When grief is not shared, it becomes unattended sorrow, a bleeding wound. Grief must be talked about. Grief must be communicated. Grief must be expressed, or it eats us alive from the inside out. Grief must be shared. Grief must be carried collectively. Grief must be born in community, or the weight of grief will crush us. There is a problem, though. We live in a society that does not know what to do with grief. Instead, it fears grief, ignores grief, individualizes grief, privatizes grief, silences grief. We live in a society that has very few places where we can bring our griefs or express our griefs or people who can help us bear our grief save a few brave therapists and counselors and almost no communities who can help us bear our grief. Instead, there is Facebook. A platform filled with groups ready to welcome all who are grieving so long as you are willing to turn your grief into anger and hatred toward other human beings. So much of our human division and our current American dilemma can be traced to our denial of death and our suppression of grief, not knowing what to do with grief As James Baldwin wrote, perhaps our whole human trouble, the root of our human trouble, is that we will sacrifice the beauty of our lives and imprison ourselves in totems, taboos, crosses, blood sacrifices, steeples, mosques, races, armies, flags, nations, in order to deny the fact of death, which is the only fact we have. He says, it seems to me that one ought to rejoice in the fact of death, One ought to decide, indeed, to earn one's death by confronting with passion the conundrum of life. We are responsible to life, he says. It is the small beacon in that terrifying darkness from which we come and to which we all return. We must negotiate this as nobly as possible for the sake of those who are coming after us. One of the few communities that is supposed to be a place that refuses to deny death and is called to empower people to express their grief is the church. Walter Brueggemann claims the biblical alternative to a culture of denial is the practice of lament, sharing our grief in community. This is where the celebration of All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day was born. Each year, we come together at this time as a people of faith to collectively lament the friends and family and fellow church members that we have lost along the way. We name those we've lost in the last year, and we remember and honor all those who we have ever lost and those who died before we were ever even born, the great cloud of witnesses and ancestors who are cheering for us praying for us as we run the race that is set out before us. Every year on All Saints Day, I remember my grandfather, Heath Browder, who we affectionately called Grandpa Beefy. He went to Rook on the railroad at 16 to support his family after his father's death. He became a Golden Glove boxer, enlisted in the Marines, and served as a flamethrower in the Pacific Theater of World War II, where he was shot in the neck and left for dead on Saipan until someone found him and saved his life. His wounds combined with his boxing injuries and a near fatal motorcycle accident left him with a lifetime of physical pain that led to alcoholism. After the war, he worked for the American Finance Company until one day he heard an evangelical preacher at a Methodist youth rally and felt called into the ministry. At six foot three and 270 pounds, a former Marine Corps boxer, he was something of an imposing minister. So the bishop would send him to churches in southern Virginia who were having trouble. (laughs) His friends described him as hard-nosed, but equally sensitive and caring, a loyal friend and an inexhaustible servant. He was an outspoken defender of the marginalized, and one of the things I'm the most proud of is that he made the motion that led to the desegregation of the Virginia Annual Conference. He died when I was 10 years old. Never knew that I grew up to become a minister. But I imagine him in that great cloud of witnesses, looking down on me, cheering for me with pride. Who do you imagine today? It's looking down on you, cheering for you, praying for you today. We need to remember we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses because life is hard and filled with sickness and death. Our nation has experienced unprecedented grief, yet we've had no ritual of collective mourning to express our grief for the 46 million Americans who have contracted COVID-19 or the 742,000 Americans who have died as a result of the disease. Those who lost loved ones were forced to have Zoom funerals and graveside services and private burials. Those who lost businesses, jobs, houses, livelihood, in-person activities, their sense of normalcy had no opportunity for collective mourning. We've been devoid of the necessary rituals and outlets to express our grief. The toll that this has taken on all of our mental health has been catastrophic. Today, as we strive to walk together through the waning stages of this extraordinarily long pandemic, we must admit that every one of us is carrying grief. All of us are carrying a grief that is too dangerous to keep inside and a weight that is too heavy for us to bear alone. The grief and the stress of it all is enough to make us want to give up, and we might give up if we forget. There is a great cloud of witnesses and ancestors surrounding us all the time, shouting out if we are able to hear them. Lay aside every weight that weighs you down. Lay down the sins of the world that cling so closely. Run with perseverance the race laid out before us. Engage in the revolutionary art of patient endurance. Be steadfast. Develop the means of resistance and resilience Do not grow weary or lose heart in your struggle. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is injured may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Find the resources, the chutzpah, the grit, and the fortitude to persevere and press on. Press on, as Paul told the Philippians, Press on toward the goal of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When you feel like giving up, look around you and remember the great cloud of witnesses and ancestors are saying, Never give up. Keep on going. As Vincent Harding taught us to sing, Have courage, children, and don't get weary. Though the road is long, we are building up a new world, and builders must be strong. A few weeks ago, I was having one of those days, you know what I'm talking about, where my grief was overwhelming. Grief over the politics of death in our country, all the losses we've suffered from COVID-19, the state of the world, grief over the state of the church, making me feel like I wanted to give up. I was devastated, disappointed, and depressed. And that day, that night before, I had been invited to go and meet with some civil rights leaders from Greensboro who were in town, and even though I was in the down of the dumps, I didn't really want to go. I went anyway. Turned out to be Reverend Joyce and Nelson Johnson. I'd never met them before they had led a march in 1979 in Greensboro that was supposed to be a peaceful labor rally to improve conditions for textile workers, but it later became known as the Greensboro Massacre because it was attacked by 40 Klansmen with the help of the Greensboro Police Department and led to the Klansmen killing five people and injuring 11 more. Those who died were three labor organizers, white men, one Cuban man, and one black woman who was Reverend Joyce's best friend, Sandra Smith. The trauma was enormous, but out of the ashes of their grief, the Johnsons launched an unprecedented American experiment to deal with the injustice of that fateful day. Modeled on the process used in post-apartheid South Africa in 2004, they successfully launched the first Truth and Reconciliation Commission on American Soil. And as I sat in a circle of city leaders listening to Reverend Joyce and Reverend Nelson tell the story of the Greensboro Massacre and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, I was absolutely blown away by their resilience and perseverance and patient endurance. Suddenly, all the grief that I was feeling was put into a different light, and I gained a new perspective. I thought to myself... If they could keep on going after all the trials and trauma that they'd been through, then so could I. Reverend Joyce then showed a video of the massacre that had images of her friends' bodies. And it ended, as as that video ended, she began to cry as if the pain was still as vivid today as it was for her back in 1979. She looked up at this group of clergy and city leaders and she said, there's a heaviness that comes over me whenever I watch that video. I don't think it'll ever go away. There's a wound that was created that day that will always exist inside me, but we can use that wound, she said, as a source of energy for our fight for truth and reconciliation. But for us to release the heaviness and find energy from that wound, she said, we have to sing. And that's when she started singing an old gospel song. go like this. I feel like going on. I feel like going on. Though trials come on every hand, I feel like going on. I feel like going on. I feel like going on. Though trials come on every hand, I feel like going on. And Reverend Joyce said, sing it with me now. And even though I didn't even want to be there, and I did not feel like going on that day, as I started to sing along with these two civil rights heroes and legends, rather mysteriously, I started to feel like going on, like pressing on. The spirit was moving inside me, and Reverend Joyce's testimony and her song were right on time for me. It was exactly what I needed to hear at that exact moment in my life. And I left that meeting with that old gospel song resounding in my head and in my heart.
1: I've seen
0: as we come to express the grief that resides in our hearts and the losses that have changed our lives, as we come to honor the saints that have come before us, as we come to remember our family and our friends who we've loved and lost, as we come to lament the death that has come from this global pandemic and the culture of devastation and the great cloud of witnesses, I believe, is singing for us, I feel like going on. All our ancestors are singing for us. Don't you feel like going on? All our founders and charter members, the former clergy and the leaders of this church, are singing, don't you feel like going on? My grandfather, all our family and friends, fellow members who have already walked on this journey of faith before us and finished the race are singing, I feel like going on, I feel like going on. Though trials come on every hand, I feel like going on I feel- One way for us to continue to love those that we have lost is to grieve, but the other way for us to love them is to keep on going, to keep on fighting against all the evil and injustice in our world, to keep on seeking the kingdom of God and building a beloved community. The other way to love them is to turn our wounds into a source of energy for the road ahead. The other way for us to love them is to persevere and press on, to renew our strength, as the prophet Isaiah said, to mount up with wings like eagles so that we can run and might not be weary, so that we might walk and not be faint. What can purge my heart of the song and the sadness? What can purge my heart of the sadness of the song? The only thing that can purge our hearts is the song of the sadness that we sing together the song of grief expressed and shared, a song that empowers us to keep on going and keep on pressing on our way, the song that the great cloud of witnesses and ancestors will be singing over us for all of eternity, I feel like going on, I feel like going on. Though trials come on every hand, I feel like going on. said